And uh, we've been talking about dropping dimes. And when we say dropping dimes, we're not uh, talking about, um, you know, NFL great passes, like Dak, Dak Prescott throwing, dropping dimes on, on uh, who's his favorite? Is it Bailey? Is that, like, basically he's the guy making all the catches? Beasley, Beasley, not Bailey, Beasley, that's right. Uh, I, I think JT's got him in fantasy. But we're not talking about dropping dimes in the football sense, and we're really not talking about dropping dimes in the, in the financial um, sense. We're talking about uh, when God starts dropping dimes. And this comes out of um, some stories that I've been sharing over the past few weeks. My wife and I um, went through this, this interesting experience where we were really seeking the Lord and trying to figure out what his will was for our lives. We were looking for direction. And um, I talked about this the first week, but there are several ways to get direction from God. First of all, uh, you have to believe that he wants to speak to you. And so if you don't get anything else out of, the, of this whole sermon series, I want you to start to put faith in a God who wants to speak to you. He desires to communicate to his people, yeah. He, he, he wants to. It's his, it's his will. It's his desire to speak to us. We don't have to beg him. We don't have to uh, go on 50-day fasts and, you know, make him, force him, you know, twist his arm to speak to us. Uh, he wants to speak to his kids. Uh, and we do believe in fasting, but it's not in order to sort of make God do something that he doesn't want to do. He already wants to speak to us. He wants us to walk in his will. He wants us to obey him. He wants us to be faithful to him. And so why wouldn't he want to speak to us? Well, the ways that he speaks to us, first of all, you have to believe that God is speaking. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. So this is, if you are a child of God, if you put your faith in Jesus, um, this is something that God promises to you. If you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus, I just want you to know what you're missing, okay? You're missing communication from God. And um, this, is, this is so, so, so very necessary to our lives. And um, so when, when, when Ro and I uh, were looking to get married, uh, we both quit our jobs with the ministry that we were working with. And we began traveling around the country, uh, in, uh, interviewing a bunch of different places. And um, it just seemed like we just didn't have peace about any particular place, which that is one way that the Lord can speak to you. He can confirm his word when you feel a sense of peace about it. That's not the only way. Okay, because many times people think that's the only way, and then they get themselves in trouble because they felt good about it. Just because you feel good about it doesn't mean it's the only way. You need, you need some other areas of confirmation. And uh, uh, mostly, it has to be written in God's Word. God's never going to tell you to do something that's contrary to what He's written. And so, you would think that would be, you know, common sense, but it's, it's not. So, just, I'm just putting it out there. Just, just, just read the Bible, and that is God's word to us. I mean, the, the logos, the written word of, of God, is right there in the scriptures. And you can read that, and you can begin to have an understanding of what God might want you to do. But also, you can have confirmation through those people that are around you. And that's why it's so important to be plugged into a church, to be connected with small groups and small group leaders, to have a pastor in your life, somebody that you can come to, and they can confirm what you feel like God is already saying to you. And so there are multiple ways for God to speak to us. But then, honestly, sometimes there's just strange ways that God speaks to us. And so we were in this, this, this place of wondering, what is God wanting us to do? Um, we're submitted to him. We're reading the word. We're praying. We're looking for peace. We're asking people over us. And we just couldn't quite figure it out. And so a friend of mine was, uh, he said that he was finding um, dove feathers, which is highly spiritual, um, throughout his house. And I said, God, that would be cool. How about you like drop something in my house, in my living room, and all this kind of thing. And so shortly after, just a couple of days, we started finding dimes, like a single dime, like one dime, not 
bunch of dimes together or a bunch of quarters and dimes change, but like uh, dimes. And they were always just a single shiny dime. There was one under my pillow. There was one that just dropped out of the air. There was one uh, that we were walking by. We began collecting these dimes and we would just walk into Walmart. We would see a dime and see a dime and, and uh, just, just so many things, so many things that like that. We started filling up a whole bag full of dimes. And we're like, Lord, maybe you're trying to speak to us. Um, and so the past few weeks has been my attempt um, first of all, to share that story with you because um, sometimes people are stuck in a place and they don't know what God's saying to them. And it's okay, I think, to ask God for a sign. I think it's okay to say, Lord, if this is really you, just confirm it somehow. And, um, and it's fine. You can, get, you can get really kooky with that and you can get weird with that. But I, I, I think if it's done with a pure heart, that God wants to speak to us. And so he wants to confirm his word to us. And so for us, man, all these dimes coming in confirmed that we were in the place that we were supposed to be, which at that time was Franklin, Tennessee. And uh, we were living in Franklin, Tennessee. And it's like, this is where I want you to be. But since then, um, various times in our lives, like when we went to plant City Chapel, uh, two years ago, when we were gathering a launch team, I was finding a whole bunch of dimes. Whenever, whenever we're in a major time of transition or even doubt or even fear, there are times that God just wants to remind me uh, of who he is. And so we've been talking about who he is. The first week we said that God is a God who sees us. You need to know that God sees you, that you are not hidden from him. Uh, and this, is, this is, should be an encouragement to you, but it should also make you sit up a little bit straighter and live a little bit cleaner because God sees what other people do not see. God sees you. And so he sees you and his seeing of you is, of course, you know, encouraging to us, but it should also be motivating for us to see him. He sees us, but he wants us to see him. So, so he, he wants to appear to us, and he wants us to see him. He wants us to follow him. And the second week I talked about that we have a God who loves us. Because whenever I find a dime, I just feel like God's saying, look, I'm assigning value to you. Um, because it is a, it, it's money, right? Now, I would have preferred a Benjamin. But, you know, finding dimes, is, 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 it's not enough to make me rich. But it's just enough to, it's, it's a tip, right? It's just enough for God to, to tell me that he loves me, he values me. And the way that God loves us is different than the way we love others. And I talked about that. If you want to listen to the podcast, you can listen to it. We often love an emotional way, but God loves us through what is called agape love. And agape is a prioritizing. So he prioritizes the good of others. And this may explain why, why God has allowed some things into your life, because he's prioritizing the good in your life. Uh, not what is comfortable, but what is good. And the goal of life, which we talked about, the goal of life, the touchdown, the end zone of life is agape. Jesus said the goal of all of life is that you would agape God and that you would agape others. Well, what is that? That is prioritizing. So God wants us, first of all, to know that we are loved, to know that he loves us. For God so loved the world. God loves everybody. If you're here today, God loves you. And, I mean, everyone from, you know, Hitler to, to Mussolini to, to, to every single human being who has ever lived, regardless of their actions, God has loved them. And that is a true statement, but it is not a safe statement. Because God's love does absolutely nothing to set you apart from anybody else because he already loves everybody. So, congratulations, you're not that special. He loves everybody. And his love is indiscriminate. It's just, it's just there. But the, the goal of life is not to be loved by God. Because if that were the case, then as soon as you're born, boom, you did it. The goal of life is to love God. And this is not easy. This is difficult. 
prioritize God in our lives. Now that takes the power of God in our, in our lives. So we talked about that. Uh, the third week, last week, I talked about that he is a God who wants to dwell with us. Uh, oftentimes, whenever I find a dime, I'll, I'll be walking along and, and I'll realize that God knew exactly where I was. Like he knew I was going to pull into that parking place. He knew I was going to walk into that door. He knew, uh, he knew I was going to make my bed that morning and find a dime under my pillow. Like, you know, what are the odds? He knew that these things, he, 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 the uh, psalmist says that he watches my steps. He, he watches all of my ways. He's familiar. He's acquainted with when I wake up and when I go to sleep. He is there with me and he wants to dwell with me not just in the sense that he dwells everywhere but he wants to dwell with me in power he wants to dwell with me in a special way that he can dwell with 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 us as opposed to where he dwells everywhere because god really truly is everywhere he fills all of space and time he is everywhere there's no space that he is not there um and just like his love it's indiscriminate he's as as uh, as uh, as as the king of the hill said I'm sure Jesus is lots of places he don't want to be. Um, he's everywhere. And it, that's, just, that's just where he is. But, but, but he doesn't show up in power everywhere. He only shows up in power. He changes lives in places where he is worshipped, in places where he is elevated, in places where, as I talked about last week, where we get under uh, our, the responsibility that he's put on us, and we choose to walk in that. And so today, I, I, I want to I follow through with that a little bit. I want to continue the story, the Bible story that we started last week. There's just so much in it. Um, but before we do, just, just, just a little interesting fact, um, neat fact. I didn't know until I started um, talking about dimes. Um, I, wrote a, I wrote a blog last year about finding dimes, and um, um, somebody, uh, somebody read the blog just online somehow, um, and so I get this email, and this is a couple months ago. I got an email from a lady who said, who said I'm, 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 I'm the host of a Finding Dimes conference in Hawaii. And I was like, what? So, and I read your blog post, and I'm a Christian, and I always thought Finding Dimes has something to do with Jesus. Um, but there's a whole community of people who are finding dimes, like when their loved one passes or whatever. Like, they're just finding them. And so they've assigned it to these different things. It's a communication from the dead. It's this. It's that. And I'm like, what? And so, anyway, so she invited me to be a speaker in Hawaii, and I, I, I didn't feel the Lord telling me to do that. I said, man, I'm planting a church. Ain't nobody got time for that. I'm not going to Hawaii. It's hot enough here in Texas. I don't need to. If I was still in Michigan, I'd go to Hawaii. But anyway, you know, I said, no, I don't think so. But so I started Googling. And if you Google finding dimes, it's amazing. There are all these people that have been finding dimes. It's the weirdest thing. It was, I thought it was just me and Jesus. But apparently, <laughs> it's really strange. So I just want to sh- throw that out there. Um, I'm not picking up on whatever those guys are doing because um, I've joined some of, their, some of their Facebook groups. And they are very cool people. Um, the Lord loves them very much, and we're going to bless their heart right now. Just just bless their heart. And so I've, I've joined their Facebook groups, and I've like sent them to, I've, I've put these sermons on their Facebook groups so they can, they can hear maybe a, a Christian side of finding dimes. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe God is trying to speak to a lot of people this way, but it's just kind of interesting to me and sort of sort of funny. But uh, we're going to look at uh, Samuel. We're going to look at 2 Samuel and the passage that we read last week. We're just going to reread to give you some context. Um, this is a story of the presence of God. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 1 um, through 13. We're going to stop. I think we're going to stop at verse 11, and then we're going we're to continue here in a minute. But it says, I think we're going to have the, yeah. Again, David gathered all of the choice men of Israel. There was 30,000 of them, 
Now, you have to remember, David just became king of Israel. Um, he, was, uh, he was reigning in Judah, and he just now conquered Israel. And he, he's bringing the entire kingdom together. And the first thing he does as king is this right here. He gathers 30,000 choice men, and David arose and went with all the people who were with him from, from Baal, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, whose name is called by the name, the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. We talked about this last week. Um, God's presence, literal presence, dwelt on the Ark of the Covenant. And this was not a symbol of God's presence. This was his actual presence. And so David, we see, is not necessarily after a box. He's not after the Ark. The Ark was a box, a wooden box that was overlaid with gold. It was very heavy, had these big angels on top of it, and their, their wings were spread out toward each other. And right in the middle of their wings, where their wings touched, there was a blue flame. Uh, the, the, the Hebrews call it the Shekinah glory. It was the glowing presence of God. And it was, it was powerful. And, you don't, and, and God gave very specific directions. You don't mess with this box. You don't treat this box just like a piece of jewelry. This is the presence of God. And so David says, I want the presence of God in my city. If I'm going to be a king, if I'm going to be who God's called me to be, I have to have the presence of God in my city. So we talked about last week that if you're going to be uh, the person that God's called you to be, if I'm going to be the pastor and the husband and the dad that God's called me to be, I need the presence of God in my life. And so you have to prioritize this. David prioritizes the presence above everything else, above appointing his new cabinet, above everything else. He says, first, before we make any decisions, before we do anything as a government, we need the presence of God. And when you prioritize the presence of God, God blesses that. And he is able to bring the presence of God. We're going to see he's able to bring it into Jerusalem. And, and, and I talked last week about how my uh, agenda is to bring the presence of God into Austin. This is, this is, this is why I am here, is to carry the presence of God into um, just off of Mayro Street, which is where we are right now, uh, throughout these streets. I talked about how much this area needs God. Uh, 40, 40 churches have been planted in South Austin in the past five years, and you look around, and not many of them have lasted because this is a tough place to plant churches because the enemy doesn't want the presence of God here in this place because where the presence of God shows up, people start to get free from stuff. People start to figure out what is healthy and what is hurtful to them. People start to walk in purity and in holiness. People start to be kind to each other. People start to be gentle. When the presence of God comes into a city, into a region, uh, it changes the atmosphere. And so and so I've been uh, telling our, our directors and our staff that once a week we need to be walking this neighborhood or driving through this neighborhood and praying over the houses and the driveways and the streets and the playgrounds and the areas because we need the presence of God in this place. And that's exactly why tomorrow night we are coming out and uh, we're doing a fall festival because uh, tomorrow night is Halloween night and there's going to be a lot of this neighborhood wandering around, trick-or-treating and all that kind of thing. And so we're going to go right, we're, we're not going to be in this room, we're going to be in the parking lot so that as they walk by, we'll, 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 we'll lure them in with jumpy castles and, and uh, hay rides and we will show them the love of Jesus. And, and that, is, that is my strategy and that is, that is my intent. Now, now, having said that, there are some people that are, uh, some of you all, that are going to be serving in that event and helping us. We appreciate that. There's also some that are going to be staying home and praying over those of us who are out, and we appreciate that too. So either way, whatever God's calling you to do, I'm telling you this is a concerted effort to bring the presence of God into this neighborhood. And we've tried. We've tried a lot of things. We've tried kids' clothing swap. We've tried, we've tried reaching out to this neighborhood in so many ways, and they are so resistant 
uh, to any kind of help, to any kind of benefit, to any reaching out. And so this is this is uh, this is our this is our hail mary right here. We're just going to go for it and and uh, see if it works. But um, but we want to bring the presence of God into our our city, just like David wanted to bring it into Jerusalem. And so what they did is they went and they set the ark of God on a new cart. Um, they brought it out of the house of. Abinadab, we talked about that, how Abinadab had had it in his house, um, some believe for 60 years, some uh, believe it's shorter, more like 20 years, but either way, Abinadab had it in his house for a long time. This is on a hill, and Uzzah and uh, Chips Ahoy, the sons of Abinadab, uh, drove the new cart. And so Abinadab's kids are taking the ark uh, to Jerusalem, and they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which is on the hill, accompanying the ark of God, and Ahoy went before the ark. Then David and all the house of Israel played music, right? They brought in Bethel. It was awesome. Uh, before the Lord, all kinds of instruments. They had firwood and harps, stringed instruments, tambourines, something else, and cymbals. And when they came to uh, Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark and took hold of it because the oxen had stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error. We talked about last week how the word error actually means to, to lead people into error. It's not just that he made a mistake, but he's deceiving people. He's trying to, he's trying to uh, keep uh, the presence of God on an on a unbalanced cart. We talked about last week how God will never stay on an unbalanced life. God will, not, God will not prop up your hypocrisy. God will not, God will not prop up your reputation uh, when things are not the way they should be at home, he's not just going to let everything look like it should. Anyway, uh, God's not going to allow that to happen. And whenever that happens, certain things die in your life. There's spiritual funerals take place whenever you, whenever you, whenever you try to carry the ark the way you want to carry it, and it doesn't work out, and you try to keep the pr the, the the product looking just as glimmery and glamorous as it always has. And God says, no, it's not going to look like that. If you built this, this, this thing, if you built this cart like you weren't supposed to, then you're going to have to suffer the consequences of this thing falling off the cart. Well, Uzzah gets struck by the Lord. The Lord strikes him dead. And uh, it's a scary moment. Uh, verse 8 says that David became angry. First of all, he's mad because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. So he renamed the place and called it Perez Uzzah, which means outbreak against Uzzah. Then David was afraid of the Lord that day. David was afraid of the Lord that day. Isn't that interesting? Isn't it? David, the guy who said, I have to have the presence of God, the guy who, who wrote the psalm that said, in his presence is fullness of joy, right? He said, I'd rather, I'd rather be a watchman at your gate so that I can be near your presence. One day in your presence is better than a thousand days elsewhere, right? And, and David is so, so obsessed with the presence of God that he prioritizes it. It's the number one thing. And David goes from worship, excitement, pursuing God, looking for God, bringing God into his city. He goes from that to being afraid of God. It's so interesting how oftentimes after a failure, maybe none of you have ever experienced this before, but oftentimes after a failure, you can be afraid of the very thing that you used to have faith in. Your faith can turn to fear around the same object. And, and nothing's changed. The presence of God is still as, as needed as it ever was. The presence of God is still as powerful as it ever was. Clearly, God is still on the box, <laughs> and His power is still there, and you touch it, you die. That's a, that's a clear power. Nothing has changed except David has made a mistake. David has failed. How did he fail? Well, he brought the ark in the wrong way. 
Scripture tells us in, in Numbers chapter 4, God gave clear directions on how to transport the ark. You do not put it on a cart. You Instead, there are these, these, these rings on the four corners of the ark, and then you put these golden poles through, and you have four Levites, and they get under the ark. Uh, and they put it on their shoulder because God always intended for the presence of God to be carried by humans, not by carts, not by, what did Pastor Wright say, big boards? Not, not by boards, not by board meetings, uh, by, 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 by humans. God always intended the presence of God to be carried by us. And so even when he couldn't come inside of us because Jesus hadn't yet died and the Holy Spirit hadn't yet been sent to the earth, even then he said, no, 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 if you're going to move this thing, you're going to have to move it on your shoulders because I want it to represent how my design is for the presence to come into a city, the presence to come into a family or a marriage or or a world. God is going to use people. He's never going to use a government. He's never going to use a process or a political system. He's never going to use a structure, an establishment. He's never going to use, uh, you know, a, a church in terms of a, a building or, or an organization or, or, a, or a system of ideas. He is going to use humans. And, if, and, 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 and the, the great sin of Uzzah, which we talked about last week, is that he didn't want to get under the weight of the presence of God. He simply wanted to put the weight onto something else. And so he shoved it off onto something else. And this is what we often do in our lives. The weight of the responsibility that God has put on our lives, we too often shove it off onto something or somebody else. And we think, well, that'll take care of it. It'll be easier that way. It'll be quicker that way, right? We'll FedEx the presence of God from Abinadad's house over to Jerusalem, and uh, we, won't have to, we won't have to bear the weight of it. But as I talked about last week, if you're going to bring the presence of God into any place, into a workplace, into a school, into a family, into a city, you're going to do it on the back of bruised shoulders. Your shoulders are going to have to take some weight. You're going to have to get under it. You're going to have to get under what is What does it mean to get under it? Means, it means get under what the responsibility that God's put on your life. Stop sloughing it off on somebody else. Stop avoiding what God has called you to do. Stop pretending like God's still going to be able to work out his plan in your life if you're not obedient to him. That's, that, that's nonsense. This is stop it. The presence of God doesn't work that way. It's dangerous, actually. It's dangerous for you to be around God and not get under him. It's dangerous for you to hang around the presence of God and not get under the weight of your responsibility. It's dangerous. Just ask Uzzah, okay? There's a whole place named after his destruction, okay? He's a, he's a grease spot in the ground because he refused to get under what God was calling him to get under. He didn't want to carry it on his own shoulders. He wanted somebody else to do it. And God doesn't, God doesn't work that way. And so if you're going to bring the presence of God into a place, you have to be willing to get under the weight of it. And the difference between Uzzah and the next guy that we read about is that Obed-Edom was willing to get under the weight of God's presence. And, and, and it's interesting how, how sometimes faith doesn't always equal faithfulness. David, David has the faith to, to bring the ark, but as soon as he stumbles, as soon as he fails... He loses his faith, and his faith turns to fear. And he says, how can I bring the ark of God to me? And verse 9, David was afraid of the Lord and said, how can the ark of God come to me? How is it going to be possible? And this is not a question. He's not asking people, you know, hey, could you go look up how this happens? This is a rhetorical question. He's given up. In verse 10, David would not move the ark. I think we'll have it up there on the screen for you. 
verse 10 says that David uh, would not move the ark. He's, he's, he's done. He wouldn't move the ark of the Lord with him into the city of David, but instead he took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And, and, and this was intentional. He was dropping it off. He was not asking Obed-Edom to watch it for a few months. All indications, all scripture points to the fact that David says, you know what, it's been at this other dude's house for 60 years, all my life and more. I'm going to drop it off at Obed-Edom's house and it'll be at his house now. Like, I don't know what to do. I have failed God. I've failed 30,000 people. I've watched this poor guy get killed because I didn't do this thing right. And so I'm afraid of God now. And so I'm just, I'm just going to give up this idea. And he drops off the presence of God. He drops off the ark at Obed-Edom's house. And if you read in First Chronicles, he goes on with his business. He goes back to his palace. He attacks the Philistines a couple of times. I mean, it's business as usual for David. He's decided that, you know what, that was a nice experiment. That was a good idea. The whole presence of God thing sounded great, but it was a little bit more difficult than I thought. It's a little bit more complicated than I had imagined. It cost me a little bit more than I thought it was going to cost me. And 30,000 of my choice men saw me stumble right in public. And so he said, I'm not doing that anymore. And he drops off the ark of the Lord because he noticed that the anger of God was there. And he was afraid. He was afraid of God. This is not healthy, but this is David. Verse 11 says, The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his house, his whole household. And this is so interesting, how, how, how the ark of the Lord was at Uzzah's house for 60 years, and we don't read of any blessing. But in three months, we see immense blessing in the house of Obed-Edom. And that's because Obed-Edom, we're going to see here in a minute, was actually willing to get under the ark and to carry it. And if you're willing to get under it, there is blessing for people who are under the presence of God. And God wants to bless you. God wants to bless you. I'm not a prosperity preacher, but, but God wants to bless you. Like God's desire is for your good. He really is. He doesn't want you uh, to barely make it by. He doesn't want you to be wondering where your next meal comes from. God wants to bless you. So I have a few scriptures because I know you're probably like, oh, God wants to bless me. Deuteronomy 30, chapter 30, verse 9. Bring that up in the ESV version. God says, the Lord your God will make you abundantly prosperous. He's talking to his chosen people. This is his desire, not just for the Israelites, but for all of his people who come in under his covenant. He says, the Lord your God will make you abundantly prosperous in all the work of your hand, the fruit of your womb, that means you're going to have kids, and the fruit of your cattle, and the fruit of your ground. For the Lord will again take delight, <laughs> take delight in prospering you, as he took delight in your fathers. It is his delight. He is, he is joyful. He's giddy about it. He's like, he's like I, mean, I mean, you know what it's like for if you, those of you who have kids and Christmas time comes around. You take delight in buying them what they want. You take delight in seeing them open it up and struggle with the packages. You take delight in that. And if you and I take delight in our kids being happy and being blessed, how much more does God, who is pure and holy and perfect, how much more joy does he have when he blesses his kids? He wants to bless his kids. And this is why I think God is dropping dimes in my life because he's showing me. He's showing me a, 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 a money. I mean, it's actual money that he's dropping off to me. And I believe that God wants to bless us and prosper us even financially. God wants to prosper us in that way. And it, well, like I said, a dime is not enough to get rich, but it's enough to remind me who my source is. <laughs> 
enough to remind me who my source is. There's, a, there's, there's five things that I would like to tell you that I believe ways that God blessed Obed-Edom in his house. And this is what happens when God comes, his presence comes into a house. First of all, he brings uh, joy into your home. He brings joy into your home. Now, that's not something you can buy. That's not something you can purchase or go to Toys R Us. But he brings joy into a home. I want to read Psalm uh, 3527, and, I, and, and, and I, I believe Obed-Edom was kind of living this. It says, let them shout for joy and be glad, those who favor my righteous cause. Let them say continually that the Lord is magnified and he has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. He has pleasure in it. And he wants to bring joy into to your home. He wants to bring joy between you and your kids. He wants to have joy in your workplace. He wants to have joy in Williams Elementary. God, when God shows up in a place, joy begins abounding. Joy begins welling up. Joy is not something you fake. It's not something you can work up and say, well, I'm just, I'm just going to be happy today. I'm just going to be happy, doggone. No, you can't do that. Joy is, joy is an overflow. It's an overflow of the presence of God. If you're lacking joy, it's not because you need to go to the joy store and get more joy. <laughs> if you're lacking joy, it's because you need the presence of God in your home. I think Obed-Edom was walking around with joy in his heart and joy in his family. And they went out to the, to the grocery store together and they had joy in the grocery store and they had joy in the car and they had joy in the way back. This is an overflow. This is, a, this is the smell of the presence of God. This is not the presence of God. So you, you could be joyful without the presence of God, but whenever God shows up, there is, a, there is a joy that does not necessarily link up to your situation or your circumstances. You can be going through some of the hardest things you've ever gone through, but there can still be joy in the midst of struggle, joy in the midst of trial. It's not an emotion. It's not fleeting. It's, it's a dependence on you know where your source comes from. Fear comes when you think you're losing everything. So many people live in fear because they feel like they're losing everything. And they are losing things. When you have the presence of God, you understand that you may lose some things, but you, you may lose some resources, but you have not lost your source. The source of my joy is Jesus. The source of my strength is Jesus. It's not how you treat me. It's not how you talk about me. It's not what you think about me. It's not the applause. It's not the likes on Facebook. It's not the shares and the comments. It's not the amount of people that attend events. I do not find joy out of these resources. I receive resources from these things, but the source of my joy, the source of my strength is Jesus. It's his presence in my life. You know that you're lacking the presence when you start lacking joy. I think Obed-Edom was walking around with joy in his home. Not only does God bring joy into a home, he brings grace into a home. And I think if there's something that's needed more than anything, it's grace. Grace, one of the many definitions would be you allow people to be human. You have grace for each other. One of the things that's missing in our culture, in our election, and in our homes, and in our schools, and in our uh, public school system, and in our family is grace. We hold people to a higher standard than we are willing to live ourselves. And as soon as they slip up from that, we say, well, yeah, yeah, I, I knew you weren't going to do that. We don't have grace for people. Now, when you're dating, you have all sorts of grace. Oh, she's so sweet. I know she meant that well. You know what I'm saying? Like when you're dating, oh, there's all sorts of grace, 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 grace. But, but what, what the enemy does is he sucks grace out of a marriage and sucks grace out of a family. And parents don't have any grace for their kids. 
and, 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 and husbands don't have any grace for their wives, and wives don't have any grace for their husbands. And it's like you slip up one time, and just the wrath of God comes down on you, and, 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 and there's no grace because you're not showing grace. You're not giving grace. You're not receiving grace, and the grace just dries up and goes away. But I think God wants to bring grace into homes and into families and into relationships again. Grace is that is that is that oil that makes that makes the 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 the, the moving parts not not kill each other. <laughs> it makes things be able to turn without you know clashing and, and friction. When you when you have a lot of friction, you don't have a lot of grace. And this is what this is what Psalm says. Psalm eighty four. Uh, Psalm Psalm eighty four verse eleven says that the Lord God is a sun and a shield, and the Lord will give grace. The Lord will give grace. The Lord will give grace. When the Lord's presence is in a place, there is grace in that place. When the Lord's presence is in a church, there's grace in that church. When the Lord's presence is in a small group, there's grace in that small group. You can walk in and not be 100% perfect, and it's okay. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not meet a certain standard because there's grace. It doesn't, mean, it doesn't mean that it's sloppy. It doesn't mean that we'll be like, hey, okay, you know, whatever. It's not graceful to allow somebody to go to hell without trying to help them. Grace is not, is, grace is not a free pass to let you walk into destruction without even knowing it. Grace is walking with you in the middle of where you are choosing to walk and saying, I'm going to be with you and I'm going to help you get back. I'm going to show you the way back because I believe in your potential. I see who you are and you're not, you're not where you're supposed to be. There's tension right now between who you are and who you're supposed to be and I'm able to hold that. I'm able to hold that tension. That's grace. Grace is able to hold the tension. Is be able to stand in the middle of the past and the future and still be present and still be supportive and still be active. God says, I give grace. I, I pour it out. I, when, I'm, when, I'm in, when I'm in Obed-Edom's home, I think, I think grace was going all over his family. I think grace was on his kids. Grace was on, on his employees and his servants. I think there was grace between servants and between employees. There wasn't bickering and backbiting and, 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 and fault-finding because there was grace. And there was the benefit of the doubt. And there was, there was hope. There was belief in the good. They, they, they weren't keeping track of record of wrong. They weren't, they weren't marking up, well, he did that the same thing to me last week, you know. Uh, it wasn't, it, there wasn't, there wasn't, there wasn't the, the kind of, you know, nagging that, that takes place when you don't have grace. Right? I mean, you know, his wife didn't need to remind him to take out the trash. He said he was going to do it. You don't need to remind him every six months. It's all good. He's going to do it. It's going to, it's going to, it's overflowing and it's just, you know, he's going <laughs> to. And there was grace there. <laughs> God says no good thing. No good thing will he withhold. Psalm 84, no good thing. If God won't withhold his own son from us, he's not going to hold back on grace. He's not going to hold back on mercy. He's not going to hold back on joy. Grace comes into a home. When the presence of God comes into a home, I think strength comes into a home. God brings strength between relationships. I think Obed-Edom's marriage got stronger. I think Obed-Edom's friendship and relationship with his kids got stronger. I think he got to know his kids better. I think his kids got to know him better. I think there was strength there. That's from the presence of God. Now, I'm not talking about because Obed-Edom went to church. I don't mean because Obed-Edom was religious. Obed-Edom had the presence of God in his home. And that's Monday through Saturday kind of stuff. That's not stuff that you, that, you, that you wear on your chest. That's not stuff that you, it's not a bumper sticker that you put on your car. This is in his living room. There was the presence of God. And it, what it did is it resulted in blessing every area of his life. And I think it brought strength into his marriage because that's what God does. It brings strength. In other words, nothing's going to separate 
what God has brought together. Nothing's going to come between what God has brought. Nothing's going to wiggle its way in between what God has brought together. Uh, a few weeks ago, somebody texted my wife, not from the church, to one of the people we have doing work out at our house or something. Anyway, they come out to our property frequently, and there's a guy who sent a text message to my wife about how good she looked. And uh, I agree. I agree. I, I 100% agree. Uh, there is a complete agreement. I amend that statement. Um, it's just not appropriate coming from... <laughs> guy working on our property so i said so she told me she's like it's kind of weird i don't know what this is about you know it's kind of you want to read this and i'm like i'll tell you exactly what that's about i know what that is about <laughs> you know what i'm saying i don't have to think about that that's not weird no that's wrong there's weird then there's wrong you know what i'm saying that's wrong <laughs> austin is weird that's not weird that's wrong that's that's pastor's wearing this is that's weird but so I said well you know mm, okay well thank you so I appreciate Ro showing me that I appreciate Ro letting me into her world I appreciate Ro not harboring uh, little enemies that would come in and seek to separate us and pull us apart and so she showed me that and I said okay well you know just take a take a picture of that and text it to me so she texted me the picture and so I texted the picture to the guy and uh, told him Jesus loved him <laughs> Not, I, I actually didn't mention that, but, you know, I, I said, I, the text ended with, you're not welcome on our property anymore, uh, goodbye, you know, and um, because I don't want anything coming between what God's put together. I mean, I was a lot better looking than him anyway, but I'm just saying, <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm just saying, like, you know, because <laughs> I know with ladies, it's not always about that. So I'm just saying, you got you to you gotta have strength in your marriage. You got to have you know, fighting for each other, not just fighting for yourself, not just wondering, what am I getting out of this? Not just, not just, not just drawing the battle lines and saying, well, as long as I get this, then I'm going to. No, like there's, there's a strength when God's presence comes into a home that I'm looking out for you. You're looking out for me. And if somebody violates any of that, I'm willing, you're going to be the first one to know. And if I have some weird feeling, you're going to be the first one to know. I'm open with you. I'm strong with you. You're able to pray for me. I'm able to pray for you. You know my weaknesses. I know your weaknesses, and we still love each other. There's strength. It's got to be strength. That's what the presence of God, that doesn't come from just counseling. I mean, counseling helps and, and all that kind of thing. But honestly, when the presence of God starts to come into your home, you want strength. You don't want division. You don't want little, little options on the side. You don't want those things. You want strength in your home. You want, you want unity. Strength comes from unity, unity in a church. You don't want to backbite it. You don't want to be, be gossiping about people. You don't want to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, well, what did you hear? I don't know. No, I don't want to hear what you heard about so-and-so. If I want to talk to so I'll talk to so-and-so themselves, and I'll ask them about it. I don't want to hear what your thoughts or your opinion on them. That's not helpful to me. It's this wiggling in. That's, that's just an enemy kind of getting coming between me and my brother and my sister, me and my friend, me and my, 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 my pastor, me and my, my small group. I'm not interested in, in division. I want unity. I want strength. If something's going on, then, hey, let's deal with it. But, but I'm not interested in just talking about it. You don't deal with it when you just talk about it. You deal with it when you go to the person and you deal with it. <laughs> So Ro wouldn't deal with that guy if she just kind of told some of her girlfriends. She got, she, she, she's got to be open to me, you know, because her girlfriends aren't going to 
text them sweet letters like I did, and uh, it's not going to happen. But the presence of God also brings opportunities, God-given opportunities into your life. I was sharing this with, with my kids last week. Um, they, my, my kids are fascinated because um, Mike is taking um, karate classes. And um, they're fascinated because I was taking karate classes when I was Mike's age. And so I was telling them about that. I got to be orange belt. You know, I was into the whole, you know, uh, uh, karate kid phase. And it was fun. I, I, thought, I thought it was cool. My, my, my personality fits it very well because you, you have to be driven. You have to be dis- disciplined. You have to be, you know, just um, fastidious about it, you know. That's a word, $5 word for you. Um, you know, you just, you just have to really focus. And, uh, and it's really good for Micah because he, he does not think that way. He needs a little bit of focus in his life. And so it's so cute to see him there, you know, yes, sir, no, sir. And so he's trying to figure it out. Well, I was telling him, yeah, I, you know, I, I used to do karate. And so Micah couldn't believe why I would stop, right? I'm 36 years old. Why would you stop? Like, why would you, why are you not still doing karate? What's wrong with you? And I said, well, I, I'm trying to remember. I think it really, I mean, seriously, I think it had a lot to do um, with my family because around the time that I stopped was around the time that my brother also started taking piano lessons. And my family, we didn't have a lot of money. So I told him, I said, I think it really, it was kind of a financial thing. As, as much as I can remember, it was like, well, you know, get him to learn to play the piano, which I hated, or do karate, which I loved. And of course, my loving parents chose piano. Um, so thank you, mom and dad. You're watching online. God bless you. Uh, they, chose, they chose that. And uh, now, actually, it's worked out for me because I'm able to, you know, help us out a little bit. But uh, I'm, ju- I'm just saying, like, I-, I think we ran out of money. And-, and Madden, of course, she's seven years old, and she couldn't believe that Graham and Gramps ran out of money. She's like, wow, how? And I said, well, we didn't have a lot of money when we were growing up, you know. Well, why not? And, uh, uh, <laughs> of course, Madden said, well, they have a lot of money now, right? I said, no, they just spend a lot on you. So you think they have a lot of money because you're the grandkids. Anyway, um, you know, I, I said, well, yeah, they do have more money now than they did then. Because uh, growing up, I mean, uh, mom, mom and dad, you know, they went to community college around the time that they were also engaged. And so they skipped, they flunked like several classes because they just kept skipping to go spend time together. And, uh, you know, and they were, they were just not, so dad didn't graduate college. Then they got married uh, so they could spend more time together. And, and, uh, uh, and then, uh, but hey, hey, the, I didn't come along till after the marriage. I'll, I'll tell you that right there. They didn't spend that much time. So <laughs> we, we, you know, they, right, right at the time when they were pregnant for me, uh, they decided uh, to attend a church, and their friends invited them to a church, and they, they fell in love with Jesus, decided to give their lives to him. And so they were new Christians. Mom had to quit her job when I came along, and Dad was working at JCPenney's unloading boxes. So I said, honey, you don't get paid a lot of money to unload boxes. You just don't. No college education, unloading boxes. You don't get paid a lot of money. And um, I said, but my, my mom and dad always tithed. They always gave to God. Even when, because they were new Christians, they were told, hey, uh, there's a blessing attached to when you give 10% off the top and just give it to the Lord. And they always did that, and they believed it, and they just did it. And so I was raised in a home where that's just what you did. And if I got $2 for, for, you know, for my allowance, I gave 20 cents to, to the children's church because that's just what I did. And so my parents always did that. And, and you know, you're not making a lot of money at JCPenney, and so you're not really tithing that much. Um, but you're just giving what you can. And then one day, uh, my, my, my mom's brother got a, got a really good job at a, at, a, at, a, at a company that worked for Ford. And so they called up um, my dad. And, my, and he got my dad an interview there. Well, the, the job was to be a draftsman, was to draw parts for cars. And my dad had never drawn a thing in his, you know, in his life. He never had any training. He didn't really know how to draw. 
uh, stick figures was his version of drawing. And so they called him in, you know, we prayed about it beforehand, mom and dad prayed about it beforehand. And um, dad went in and the guy said, okay, how about you draw this part, go in that room. And dad was able, by the grace of God, to draw the part that, and it impressed him. They said, okay, hey, uh, we're going to hire you. Um, and his pay like doubled right then. And, and then we're going to pay to train you. And so we're going to send you to, to a two-year college while you work here. And, and uh, he ended up being the overseer over the whole department and the night shift. He transferred to another place near Detroit. And anyway, I mean, this is just, this is God. This is what God does. God loves to do that kind of stuff. He loves to open up opportunities for his kids. He loves to say, you know what? You've been faithful in little. I'm going to bless you with much. Because if you're faithful in little, you won't be faithful with much. If you're, if, you're able, if, you're, if you're able to be faithful on J.C. Penny money, you're able to be faithful on Ford money. You know what I'm saying? Like this, this is how God works. And I've seen, I've been in a home with the presence of God there. And I've seen just, you know, why, 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 Harry, why Harry Sr. get that job? Well, I don't know. It's just, you know, it's just being faithful to God. God's blessing him. God likes to bless his kids. That's kind of what happens, you know. Uh, it's just the way that God reveals his will. And mostly, do you know what this does? This is what this did for David. If we, if we, if we go back to that scripture, actually, um, verse 12, it was, it, people started talking. 2 Samuel verse, uh, 6, verse 12, people started talking about how blessed Obed-Edom was, how blessed his family was. Now, I don't know what he was like before the presence of God showed up, but something shifted. Something changed to where rumor got out that God was blessing Obed-Edom. And if we look at verse 12, we see that now it was told King David. This is three months later. It was told King David that the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. Look what David does. So David went and brought up the ark of the Lord from the house of Obed-Edom. Here you have a guy who is stifled by failure. You have a guy who is afraid of God. And he says, I'm not doing that anymore. He drops off the presence of God at Obed-Edom's house. And then three months later, he gets a report that God is blessing Obed-Edom. And it stirs up faith in David. This is why I think God wants to bless us. Not because he is primarily concerned with our creature comforts, but because he is primarily concerned in showing us that he has not forsaken us in the midst of our failure. David said, well, so God's not killing Obed-Edom? <laughs> Obed-Edom's still alive. Well, that's cool. All his kids still living. Yep, okay. And on top of that, his finances are blessed. They're having more kids just in these three months. We don't know how that happened. We haven't, we're having, you know, his crops are exploding, miracle grows. I mean, like things are happening. And David's like, so God's not mad at, at us. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I think one of the reasons why God drops dimes in my life is to say, hey, I, I know you slipped up, but I, I'm still, I'm still here. I'm not mad at you. I'm not. My plans haven't changed. If you could understand the intentionality of God, if you could understand how determined God is to bring his presence into this city. This is what God showed me when we were planting the church. I was, I was worried about we don't have enough money for this. We don't have enough money for that. We don't have all this kind of thing. And God said, look, if you just understood how determined I was, you'd stop whining about it because <laughs> I'm going to do it. And I'm, I'm all powerful. I can do whatever I want, and I've already decided. 
And so you're not going to change my mind. You're not, your, your unfaithfulness is not going to change my faithfulness. Your, 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 your mistake is not shifted my thoughts on this process. I've already decided. It's written in heaven. I didn't consult you. I didn't consult anybody else. I didn't talk to the, to the president or the vice president of the United States. I didn't consult the media. I wasn't asking for their opinions. I'm not even interested in what you think about what I think about you. God didn't even ask Obed-Edom if he wanted his presence to come to his house. He just showed up uninvited. Because God is intentional in what he wants to do. And when he says he wants to bless you, he's going to bless you. And even in spite of you, sometimes it's in spite of us that God still shows up. And David's like, man, I messed up in front of everybody. Uh, it cost Uzzah his life. And yet God is not angry with us. God still wants to be with us. Exactly, David. Exactly. Go get it. Go get the ark. David goes and gets the ark, and this time it's different. He doesn't put it on a cart. Instead, he puts it on shoulders, and Obed-Edom would have been one of those shoulders. He actually brings a whole slew of people, a whole bunch of people, and a whole bunch of the Levites, and he says, okay, we're going to take turns getting under this thing, and we're going to take this to Jerusalem the way it was supposed to be taken. And, and Scripture says that so it was, verse 13, that when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, Teddy said, okay, all right, stop, stop. <laughs> this is amazing. You get, you get a whole group of people together, get Bethel and United and Hillsong and everybody there worshiping, and you're going up to Jerusalem, and it's on their shoulders, and one, two, three, four, five, six steps. And he says, all right, stop. They're like, what? What are, what are we doing? And it says that they walked six paces, and he went and got some oxen. <laughs> Wonder where he got them from. Um, the two oxen... <laughs> Maybe that we're pulling the cart before. He said, hold up a second. Hold on. Six paces. That's far enough. I know we got multiple miles to go, but we're going to stop right here on, on, on six steps. Not seven, not eight. Six steps we're going to stop, and then we're going to get those oxen and bring them over here. We're going to kill them. We're going to build a little altar. We're going to burn them here, and we're going to worship God. Number one, because, because we are signaling that we are done trying to do this on our own. We're done. We're, there's no more oxen. There's no more cart. No, no. In fact, why don't we just use the cart? Let's just burn that while we're at it, just right here in this fire, in this worship. Number one, we're saying, look, we've tried it on our own. It didn't work out. I failed, but I'm done with that. I'm done trying it on my own strength. It's over. But he stopped on the sixth step. And the sixth step, I don't know if you're into numerology, but throughout scriptures, the number six is the number of man. It's the number of flesh. It's the number of humanity. And so David said, don't take seven steps because that's the number of God. Take six steps and then stop. Why? Because every, every area of your life that you are walking in the flesh has to stop right now. You have to stop walking in the flesh. You're not going to bring the presence of God on your ideas or your brilliance or your strength. It's not going to happen. We're going we're to stop. Just stop right there. Stop right there. And what should we do, David? Well, we should worship is what we should do. That's what it is when he sacrifices oxen and cattle. He's doing an Old Testament version of worship. And so not only are they singing and dancing, but worship isn't just singing and dancing. Worship is sacrificing. It's taking what is valuable and giving it to the Lord and saying, I would rather just pour this out in front of you. I'd rather waste. Worship is wasting. It's wasting on God, saying, I'm going to waste this time. I'm going to waste this energy. I'm going to waste this resource on you because you're worth it. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to kill the, the oxen right there. Just, just get rid of them and just burn them 
as a sweet-smelling offering to you. It's worship. You say, well, he's not even like halfway there. Six steps. I mean, we still got miles. Literally, some, some scholars think it's more like 10 miles. Some people think it's like five. But it's, 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 a, it's a hike. And this thing weighs about 188 pounds, and these four guys are carrying it. And we're going to stop, and we're going to build this thing, and we're going to do this, all, all this deal. What, like, we're not even halfway. Maybe when we get to halftime, maybe we should celebrate. No, no, the first six steps and then stop. Because I'm telling you, the rest of the way, if you're, if, if, if you're actually going to make this journey, you're going to have to stop and worship every once in a while. We are, we are such a, a purpose-driven culture that we, 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 we fantasize about destinations. And when I get there and when I marry her or him and when I get and when that happens and when I'm, when, when I'm there, when I get the presence to, of God in Jerusalem, shoot, we're going to throw a party. It's going to be awesome. We're going to be worshiping. It's going to be great. We're going to kill all sorts of oxen and stuff like that. We're just going to sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. But, you know, we're not there yet. So we might not want to count our chickens before we hatch. I don't know if we should worship at this point because we aren't even nearly there. Of course not. You don't worship because you're there. You worship because God has helped you get those six steps. Because God has helped you that way. I mean, that, that, that far. One, two, three, four, five, six. Wow. God helped me get from there to here. I think he's worthy of some worship here. Not just when I get there, but where, when I'm in the process, when I'm in the middle of it, when I'm in the mess, when I've made some progress and, I, and it's minuscule compared to where I need to go. But yet even those steps, I couldn't have done it without God. And so I have to look back and say, God has been faithful to me for those six steps. You have to worship him every six steps. You can't just worship him every five miles or 10 miles or major accomplishments in your life. You have to worship on the, on the little stuff. You have to worship in the stuff that seemed kind of, well, I, 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 you know, I, it was just, it was, you know, it was, an, it was an okay day. It was an okay day because God was there protecting you. you. You're not in the hospital because God was guarding your car. Your, your kids aren't sick because God was protecting their immune system. I mean, God has helped you through these six days, so you need to stop right now and worship. Worship is not about, I've arrived. Worship is, God has helped me this far. Because that's the key. If you're actually going to arrive, you're going to have to worship your way there. You're going to have to worship all along the way there. One of the great robbers of, of motivation is ungratefulness. And we walk, we try to make five-mile journeys without being grateful every six steps. And we're like, oh, where are you in my life? How come you're not showing up? Where, what's going on? No, don't just turn around for six steps. And God's been there. He's been doing awesome things in your life. He's been, he's been protecting you, guarding you, guiding you, opening up doors, opening up connections and relationships. But ungratefulness will always steal what God's wanting to do in your life. You're going to have to worship your way there. You're going to have to focus on who he is and what he's done so far. In the first Chronicles passage, it actually said that God helped them, and so they stopped and worshiped after six steps, according to Samuel. It wasn't far, but it was far enough. It was the end. It was the end of flesh. It was the end of trying it our own way, and it was the end of, of ourselves. <laughs> it was the beginning of something else, which is why failure is never final. Failure is never final because after failure, you can, you can start again the right way. <laughs> you can start again the way God intended you to move. 
you can be like David and go back. And so I'd like for us to close our eyes for a moment right now and just bow our heads, and I would just invite you to pray with me that if you need to make that first step and just accept Jesus into your life and make him the Lord of your life, if that's you today, would you raise your hand and just say, that's my prayer, that's, that's what I need in my life right now. He needs to be Lord. I've been walking around him, but I'm going to... That's awesome. That's awesome. Okay. 